podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Medicare annual election period deadline is coming soon. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who found the key to the right coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online. I took my time and found the best Medicare Advantage plan for me at MyHealthPolicy.com. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plan, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com. And finally, Michael. I prefer face-to-face, so I chose MyHealthPolicy.com and enrolled on the spot. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to learn about top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. MyHealthPolicy.com. Meredith Fiera is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call. Well, they walked into Madrid with hope in their hearts, and they'll walk away with the greatest prize in club football. Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool's King to the Cot are champions of Europe once again. To another episode of Cop and Fraka. As you can see, um, well, maybe, hopefully you can see, maybe if you're on Spotify enough for me, because you can't see us. But we have a visual now up on screen. We're all, we're all on video from Zoom, so hopefully you guys are enjoying. Um, if you're not sure already, then please go over to our YouTube page, Touchdown Fraka. You can subscribe and like the video while you're there. Please check us out. On to today's cast, I'm joined with the fantastic, fantastic, Fantastic host of last week's but brilliant pod with Raphael Honigstein. Um, Chris? Uh, you, you're far too kind. You're far too kind. Um, I, and I'm joined by the newly crowned YouTube king himself, Mr. Harold. Oh, far from it, far from it. <laughs> good to have you here. You're well? I'm good, thank you, bruv. Um, I look about age 12 because I didn't think I was on the pod this week, so I decided to shave. So um, <laughs> apart from that, no, I'm all good. I'm all good. <laughs> happy, to happy to hear it. Awesome. We also have... <laughs> the fantastically looking youthful man that is Kevin. Thank you very much. What's going on, guys? How are you? I thought you, lost stitch, I thought you lost stitching up with the video Zoom because I had the money going on over the weekend. So <laughs> 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 you look good, man, bro. You look good. You look just like me, to be honest. Can't lie, man. So, so, looking yeah, at the last, good to be here. 
looking like the last ball that you put in pool, bro. You're looking fantastic. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> I'm also, also joined by the brilliant Anik. Happy to have you. How's it going, guys? You all right? Sick. And last but definitely not least, King Marco. Good, what's good, people? Definitely the youngest looking one. No beard at all, so definitely had to cover the heads. <laughs> not shaving for shit. Awesome. All right, cool. So um, we put out a tweet today talking about what we're going to do today. So obviously we're going to cover the 05 final. As you know, the anniversary of that, probably the best Champions League final that we've ever had um, was on Monday. So we're going to cover that a little bit later in the pod. It's going to start off something a little bit in topic. That is the Bundesliga. Recently returned about two weeks ago or so. We've been craving football, so it's been interesting seeing what it's been like in Germany, them being so ahead of the game. It's good to have, actually have some football and also without any incidents that we've known so far. So everything seems to be going so well. So awesome to have that. But on that note, and following on from what I mentioned earlier in regards to Raphael Honigstein's um, interview with us last week, we spoke about Timo Werner to quite a length and also with our James Pierce um, interview. He, he's been closely linked with us, twerking for a move, we have to say. Um, from the last couple of games um, that you've watched him, and let's say of recent, would you say your thoughts on him are better, worse, indifferent? What do you guys think? I'll start off with you, Grish. Um, I think I've made it a little bit. Abundantly. Well, I think I've not been his biggest fan <laughs> over the past few months, to um, put it a little bit lightly. Um, I just think there's other players that we possibly could have pursued who would mm-hmm. um, be of more use in our system, but... I think watching him a bit more clearly as opposed to when I watched him more uh, about two seasons ago, um, kind of in that 2018 World Cup and a little bit after that, you can definitely see his, how he's grown as a player um, and how versatile he's more than anything, how he can drop deep, link attack and midfield, how he can play on the left and through the middle. Um, and I think for the price, considering what's going on in terms of you know the markets right now for transfers and finances, it feels like it's going to be a, a really good move. Um, and I'll be made to eat my own words from previous podcasts. So, Also, like, I'd, part of the reason why I feel that you are not too keen on him is because there's been a lot of talks about him replacing Bobby Firmino. But if you watch him and the way he plays, he does live up to that number 11 that he has for Leipzig in that he does play on the left quite a lot. So... What do you guys think about him possibly being part of a front three that still does include Roberto Firmino? So I'll, I'll ask Anik, what do you think about that? So I think, I think it could work. I think what, what we do ideally need is a replacement for the three or to come in and fill in for the three is one that could play right across the lines. Mm. So I do think if he did come in mm. on the left, I think it could work. But I think from what I've seen of him, I think his best position would be through the middle. Yeah. Okay, cool. I mean, the thought of the thought of Werner in the middle, Mane Salah on either wings is frightening. And I also did post in the group because I was I was leaning closer to a a Werner left, Salah middle, Mane on the right. And obviously, we haven't seen Mane on the right since what his debut season for us. Mm-hmm. So it'd be quite interested to see how that will how that will like how that would gel. But anyway. Um, so I think on that point, Harold, I think that probably could work because we have seen Salah through the middle last year. We also have seen Mane as well on the right. Mm. Whether it will work as a free, I mean, I'm not sure, but I, I don't see why it wouldn't. Yeah, I do like Salah through the middle. I do because he's 
he's not, he looks like a player who can't really use his body so much. And I'm, I'm not going to liken him in any way, shape, or form to Drogba. But he can play with his back to goal in the same way yeah. Drogba did. And he also has that turn of pace, which makes him like a, almost like a double threat. You don't know whether to stick or to, to stay or go kind of thing for the defender. So, yeah, it keeps up that, I don't know, unpredictability about him. But, Marco, what do you think about the prospects of Timo Werner joining and how would he fit in? And what do you think about his couple of performances since Bundesliga started? Mm, cool. Um, I've been a big advocate for Werner for a minute. Um, I've wanted to see him, especially at that price. Um, I'm kind of against the whole removing Bobby thing, though. Um, and I'm sure I have been saying this for quite a while. Yeah, I've been saying this for quite a while, that my ideal front four, so my ideal attack would be four players that can all play in each position, yeah. um, ideally in a four-two-three-one, and everyone can play in that attacking third and can interchange and basically cause havoc. Um, from what I've seen, you can see the threat he offers. You can see how we can get him behind. You can see what he offers us. Um, from watching him before Corona, I can see where Chris has his issues in terms of missed chances, in terms of not being able to link up play as well as Bobby can. Yeah. And I remember voicing that that might break down a few of our attacks. But like Chris just said, again, you can see how he has grown. And I believe under Klopp, Klopp's tutelage will just continually improve him. Um, he'll be able to build that relationship with Salomani and Firmino, whether they play together or if they play in a three or whoever is used. Um, yeah. But ideally, I would want to see all four play together. I think it would be an absolute nightmare for defenders. Cool. So, yeah, last question for you, Kev, on, on Team Averna. That is, so just... Piggyback on what uh, Mark just said, how, what do you think about the prospect of all four of them playing? Do you, how do you feel that balances out the squad? And wh- where, who do you think will play where? And what are your general thoughts on Timo Werner? Sorry, that was a lot of question, but yeah. That's, that's <laughs> right, bro. <laughs> to be fair, with Werner, I've kind of watched him ever since we were interested in Naby. Yeah. So, what's that 2017 season? So, I've kind of watched him from there and he, he caught my eye. But he was very inconsistent as such as like you were saying earlier. Yeah. And um, the ball would bounce off him or he might run it out of play or something along those lines. But he was, he's always been a goal for him. Now, his numbers have gone up. He's scoring goals. I'll be totally honest. I don't see all four of them on the same pitch consistently. I'm going to go against the grain and say I would like to see him rotate with Firmino. And the reason I say that, I feel Vernon would score more goals. Yes, you might miss that sort of silk that Firmino brings to the game in linking up and stuff. But if we were to get a silky midfielder or Naby actually turned up to the party, I mean... Naby linking up with Werner, Firmino coming off the bench. Yeah, it's nice. I was That's, just about to say something about that. Do you know what I mean? By the way, I don't. I don't think I need to say more, really. But it is, it is a nice, it is a nice prospect. So on as that, shameless as I'm gonna be, sorry, Harold. I just really need to be extremely shameless right now. Watch my boy Naby. Yeah. <laughs> Watch my boy Naby. Watch my boy Naby. I still, I won't lie. Yeah, I'm still defending like that. Watch my boy. Oh. I'm still defending Naby in WhatsApp groups and that, but it's, it's, it's I'm not defending him with my sword and shield anymore. Maybe just my shield, like the sword's gone. 
Yeah, man's more a bit of a defensive, but watch my boy Nabi towards the end of the season. Ten and ten still there. Is that Nabi and Lana or just Nabi? I mean, I said ten and ten. I think they're on two and two right now. Yeah, I don't know, but. That's as criminal as uh, Ellis's Rian Brewster prediction. Uh, no, honestly, right? <laughs> 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 you know what? I have to stand by it. That has to be the, that has to be the hill that I die on. Nabi is yeah. going to get Nabi and Lalano are going to get ten and ten this season. <laughs> what each? Yeah, this no, season together, together, together. Okay. All right. Cool. Okay. So we're two thirds through, and they got and they need to get. Another two birds, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. So just on topic of speaking about um silky silky midfielders, Kev, and another question for you. Um, just on the back of what you said, obviously we we have a lot banking on um Naby coming through, but there is another player who can play a slightly deeper role and can also play a forward role, and that man is for an extortionate fee is Kai Havertz. So. Mm. Let's say Fee's not playing a part. Who are you picking between them and why, Kevin? Um, I'll be totally honest. I've seen Havertz play three times, I think. I think the first time I see he was playing for Germany. And then I saw him play against Dortmund. And this shout could be wild and it might cut out again. I'm not sure. But um, for me, he's like a cross between like Ozil and Kaka, I found. But um, okay. he's, he's, he's scores goals, um, nice technically, he's quite goals. powerful. He's got more headers than I, and I gave him. I was just going to come yeah, to that. Yeah, yeah. I, like, mm-hmm. he, gets in, he gets into the box. Mm. Um, I see him linking up quite well with his like, um, other attackers and teammates and stuff. Um, but I'd probably lead lean towards Werner a bit more because he's interchangeable in the front three. I've watched him for the past three years. He's on a steady improvement. Um, and also, we're kind of a sort of counter-attacking intense team. He seems like he's got more intensity to his game. He's more willing. We're probably being a bit judgmental to Havertz, but I don't know. I probably need to watch him a bit more, to be honest with you, but I'm Werner. Cool. And Chris, how about yourself? Interested to hear your thoughts. <laughs> um, I've made it no question, no, made no secret either that I'm a big uh, Kai Havertz fan. I think at one point I was literally banging on the table for him. Um, not even metaphorically, literally. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's such an interesting player um, that he can kind of fill in about four different uh, positions on the pitch. So he can play a little bit deeper. He can play in a functional normal midfield, um, as a number 10, as a false nine. He can play on the right wing as well. Um, but I, I still primarily see him as a through-the-middle player, which I guess in the current way that we play is a bit of a problem. Um, I think we had this conversation with Rafa Honigstein last week um, when we were talking about Kai Havertz. Um, I think the fee like, was a massive issue because they're not going to budge from that kind of hundred kind of 90 to 100 million euro asking price that they've got when you know regardless of the market they, they should that's their asset and they you know they value him at a certain price and you shouldn't fade away from that uh, you know, I think all clubs shouldn't at the moment um, but yeah I, I would lean towards Kai Havertz because I think he can become kind of one of the next great footballers in Europe 
Um, he's, he's just got that ability about him. He's just got such a confidence when he's on the ball. And the fact that he can kind of do the things he can um, position, positionally at his early age leaves so much more to, to, to be wondered in his development. And if he ends up with a top-class coach like Jurgen Klopp, I think the sky would be the limit. But again, I think the limitations for us at the moment would be in the 4-3-3, it's kind of difficult to see where he fits in. Whereas in the 4-2-3-1, you could definitely see where he would play. Um, so uh, my heart would say uh, Kai Havertz, but my head would say Timo Werner, which is a bit of a, bit of a shocker. Okay, wow. I'm surprised. I thought you'd say every, part, every organ would, would go for Kai Havertz. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, Mark, how about yourself? Um, I've got the same sentiment as Chris, to be honest, and I don't want to echo exactly what you said, but Kai looks like a better prospect. Werner is good and we can see the need for him in the team because obviously we need goals. Um, Bobby doesn't give us the goal output that we would want, although we can see we can bring to the team. Um, but to me personally, I feel like Kai offers an ingenuity that I haven't seen among young players before. Well, young players in this era generation, I guess. Um, he just seems like he will go on to progress to be a very, very world-class talent as opposed to Werner, who I can see bagging a lot of goals, but never hitting the heights of uh, Ballon d'Or or being in the conversation for Ballon d'Or. Mm. Okay, fair enough. So your reason is probably just because you think that Habits is just, I say, probably has more talent as a footballer. Yeah, and I feel like that's reflected in the value. I feel like 80, so it was about 100 to 90, say 90 to 100 million euros, which are about 82 million pounds as opposed to Werner's £52 million. And I feel like that £30 million premium will show itself in the future. But, um, but what Werner, I would say... Sorry, sorry Marco. But with, with Werner, he's is from a, um, from a transfer... It's from an actual clause in his contract saying that that will be... How yeah. much will be releasing. It's not necessarily indicative of his value. So do you feel as though... So if I, let me ask you this. Who do you think will... We'll get them. We'll get the most output in our in our team out of Havertz and Werner. Mm, dependent. So. And no, I'm not like, saying influence, but output in particular, because cool. I, I think like, I know who has the most influence. Harold's coming like with the questions here. The good, uh, the good the return. Four, three, three. <laughs> yeah, really good return. Um, the four-three-three is hard to see where Havertz would play. I feel like in a four-two-three-one, it would be criminal to say that. Havertz won't get a better output in terms of goals and assists. We can see how many goals and assists he's getting from playing a variety of positions at Leverkusen at the moment. Um, we've seen him in a deeper role get goals and assists. I feel like with his ingenuity and the players that would be surrounding him, so Salamani and whatever striker it may be, I feel like he is intelligent enough to be able to find him in enough goal-scoring positions to get enough assists okay. and intelligent enough to find himself in the right places to pick up the goals um, whereas opposed to Werner I feel like Werner would be a goal machine he'll probably hit maybe 20 goals for us assist wise I don't know um, echoing what I said before I don't feel like his link up play is up to scratch yet I don't know we can always theorise the trajectory of a player and how well he will progress but theoretically things don't always pan out um, with Havertz, it's already there. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Cool. So, just a quick move Mark. Just, just a quick oh, one. Uh, so, sorry, Harold. Uh-huh. A quick one, Mark. Do you think, in just going back to the 4 3 3 question, 
Do you think he, mm. if he played in the midfield, do you think he could do the defensive responsibilities and the positional responsibilities that you'd ask like I a, haven't seen I haven't seen enough of him defensively and I feel like it will, from what I have seen, I feel like it'll fall off the balance of the team. That's why I've been advocating for the shift to a 4 one mm. I feel like with the 4-3-3, if he was to play in the midfield of, let's say, Fabinho, Genie and him himself, um, it would need Genie to sit back a lot more. So, like, to do a lot of the running that Havertz won't be able to do defensively because he's so far up the pitch and his attacking instincts carry him there. Um, but I'm not too sure. I haven't seen too much of him defensively to know, but that's just based on the game that I have seen. No, I feel, I feel, feel the same. Can I just say something, guys? What, yeah, go on, what? I've never really liked the 4 2 3 one you know? I think that's my favourite formation. No, listen, sure. okay. If I'm, if I'm playing pro, pro Evolution, FIFA, whatever. Yeah, But for Liverpool, Liverpool listen, I don't like it. Right. I remember when we right. had Coutinho in there and then teams just snuffed Coutinho out and that was us done. Mm. So I feel with 4 3 3, there's variety. Players, attacking players can pick up different positions. Bobby can drop deep. The two wingers can come in as inverted forwards. Then we've got our marathon runners in midfield that can just go box to box. And then we've got the full backs that can deliver into the box. So I'll find 4-3-3 three, 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 as better variations of attacking for our players. Where 4-2-3-1, I always think, just rigid. The passing lines are rigid. You're relying on the 10. And if the 10 gets snuffed out, then that's that. Mm. You know what? All right. So, can I just go back on that? Because we're talking about FIFA now. Let's get into the nitty gritty. <laughs> um, so, about two years ago, I was playing 4-2-3-1 with Liverpool. I, to this day, I still do sometimes. So, I put Naby <laughs> in the 10. And what my preferred strategy would be, would be those three attacking midfielders all float. They're not restricted to those positions. So um, let's say Mane is on the left, Salah on the right. They can both pop up in the middle if they wanted to, wherever they see the space. And I feel like you can only do that with intelligent players. I feel like Mane, Salah and say Havertz, Havertz for example of the argument, for sake of the argument, sorry. Um, I feel like he would be intelligent enough to be able to move around with them and create that movement of everybody popping up everywhere. And that's going back to my fluid front four kind of view of the number. So the number nine being able to drop as a number 10, the left winger to be able to push up as a top guy and be the number nine and everybody being able to interchange in that form. Because I feel like that's very, very hard to defend against. When we played Man U and I think it was Brandon Williams and Luke Shaw on the left for Man U and they doubled up on Salah. You can see how easy it is to get a certain player out of a game if you target them. And I feel like with the 4-2-3-1 where everyone can roam, it'll be very, very difficult for one person or let's say you set up a game plan to negate that player, it'll be very, very hard for you to stick to that. Especially if, let's say you put, in the same vein, you put Brandon Williams and Luke Shaw on the left to negate Salah and all of a sudden Salah's on the right. Mm. So, yeah... But then, no, Michael, I mean, on, that, on that note of what you're saying about um, 
about Salah in particular. He's talking about the game at Old Trafford or the game at... He didn't play the game at Old Trafford, did he? Am I going mad? He didn't play the Old Trafford game, but he played a game no, at Amsterdam, right? No, I'm talking about last season's game. Oh, last season's game. Yeah, they played five at the back last season. Oh, okay, I okay. Vanda okay. Williams and Luke Shaw. Because I was, I was going to say, Salah against yeah. United this season, he was having a jolly up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, this season was yeah, fun. Yeah. You know what, uh, last just, season he got shot out of the game a little bit. I think that was the nil nil for me. Yeah, yeah. Taken off. Know, yeah. Just, just my two, just my two cents on the whole forty-three-one. We played it a couple of times, and I don't know why. Because to me, it's just a variation of the four-three-three. But when we play a four-two-three-one, for some reason we we just lack fluidity. For some reason, it's almost as if it becomes a four-two-four. And there's, there's, like a, there's like a disbalance in our team. And I can't remember exactly who was sitting. Perhaps it wasn't Fabinho and another partner. But Fabinho and someone else it just didn't work. Somehow Fabinho in a single pivot is much better than Fabinho in a double pivot. I feel as though he knows his role. And he's a, he's a, he cleans up and then he also he sweeps and he, and, he, and he then start playing. Almost strange com- combination of, of Alonso and Mascherano is what we have in Fabinho, I feel. But when we play a full two three one, I just don't feel like it, it it fully works for our team as opposed to the four three three. Like it just it's hard to explain. But Kev, you you had the same idea in my mind. I just can't I haven't seen a game yeah, recently for me to remember. But I think is, I know exactly what game you're talking about as well, and I think it's a personnel thing because I remember Shakiri supposed to be playing in number ten, and he was popping up on the right so much, and it was pissing me off because it left so much space for them to counter attack on us when we lost the ball. And I feel like with the right personnel, it can work. Okay. Who the right personnel is, I don't know. I think you're so. Re- you're, you're, I think you're so. Re- when it's four two three one, I think you're solely reliant that one of the two DMs is a proper proper passer. Yeah. Because I think we used to put Hendo and we nailed him there. Yeah? Neither of them are really going to go and pick the ball up and pop it through the line into the ten or the attacking players. So. I feel that there's there's a disconnect disconnect from the midfield and the attack with four two three one. Then you've got two players out of the game, game goes past them, and then the back four. I, yeah. yeah, for some reason, just there's something about it. It's yeah. not for me. I, I I fully I fully get what you're saying as well. For some reason we have more players in the middle, yet we look more vulnerable. It's very strange, but that's why I feel like that. What we are saying, it's it's almost like it's defense, midfield, attack. It's no like. And, and the attack is literally just that one man up front. There's no, like, midfield going into attack. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, here you are, take the ball and then go do what you want. The, the midfield is long, long, long gone. <laughs> you know what I mean? Despite that almost happening nowadays, like, I don't feel it's to that extent to where it's just a front three just doing their own thing. Like, like Wijnaldum might pop up and confuse a defender. Hendo might pop up like he did against Spurs and grab a goal kind of thing. So, but yeah, that's my own thoughts on you know. Four two four two three one. But Marco, you could be right. It could be a personal thing. We didn't play necessarily our strongest team there. If um new additions and stuff like that, it could work. So make a, a very fair point. Cool. So moving forward, um, just the last topic on the this last question or the last thoughts on Bundesliga. Um, friend of the pod, also currently on the pod, and and also mostly the host of the pod, Christian, <laughs> um, has asked a, a a question or a a thought to us, just for you guys to as to ponder. He says thoughts on American TV having crowd noises in the commentary for this weekend's Bundesliga game 
felt unnecessary and way too artificial. What are you guys' thoughts on it? Um, we did have Raphael on last week, yeah. That's first name basis, yeah, we know him like that. Check it out, yeah, all of that. Uh, we had him on last week where he mentioned about Borussia Mönchengladbach having the cutouts of a fan in the in the um in the stands and then went on to say that Dortmund would never do that for it feels like it's disrespectful etc etc but yeah I'm keen for you guys to to give me your two cents on it and what and what you think so I'll start with you Anik haven't heard from you in a while so I I will be pretty much against anything like that to be honest with you I think you know we're, we're Liverpool and you know this means more I think it will be disrespectful you know to us to have any any noise any artificial noise, any cardboard cutouts. I don't think it will really do sort of justice to to us and 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 to the players. But that's just my view on it. Um, I I don't know actually how else they could generate a bit more of an atmosphere or generate some sort of you know vibe in the stadium. But yeah, I just think artificial noise. I think that's just a step step too far for me. Mm. Do you know what though? It is. I feel like it's a blessing and a curse not to have fans. A blessing is, is the fact that we can hear the we can hear exactly what the coaches are saying on the touchline, like loud and clear. It's quite it's quite intriguing to hear what they say. Um, obviously, the curse is that there's just been a lack of atmosphere. This when the play when someone scores, it's almost like like you're playing in goals. Like like it's just it's just like <laughs> a cagey kind of game. It's not really a game. Just a fist bump and you walk back to the the centre circle. Come, but yeah. Um, Interesting to hear um, what else you guys have to say. Chris, I know you asked the question, but I'm going to ask you, um, what you what you think about it and perhaps what you think could be a, an alternative to it. Uh, well, here's my own uh, opinion on my own question. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought it was, it was really weird. It just felt, like I said, it felt really artificial and just a bit unnecessary. So, so you know that there's not any crowd there. You know there's a maximum about, what, 50 people in the stadium and you know, that, that level of noise just can't be generated. Um, yeah. I think Anik made, Anik made the best point to be fair. Um, you know, we have, this means more, you know, it's the Liverpool family kind of thing and to pump in any artificial noise, it kind of makes it feel as though whatever you do as a fan is made redundant by something that's a bit, you know, artificial and on a soundtrack that could be, you know, plugged in from Spotify or something. So yeah. it's a little bit disrespectful from that end. The cardboard cutouts, I actually disagreed a little bit with um, with Rafa on that. I actually thought it was a pretty pretty fun idea. I mean, I think it was. I think Munchen Gladbach was charging about um, fifteen euros for someone to have their cardboard cutout in the in the stadium. And when they were playing at the weekend, I, I watched that game and it, it, it looked pretty. It looked the. Uh, oh wait, wait so, so it's, it's actual people. It's not just like it's actual people's cardboard cutout in the yeah. stadium, right? Yeah, so it's people. like. Yeah, so it's like um, it's it's a full length cutout of of somebody, and then they put them in the seats. So it's, it really looks like uh, those old FIFA graphics. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Oh, so, yeah, I mean, was, yeah. um, but from, from that point of view, I thought that was a, a pr- pretty good idea. But I can understand where 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 Rafa came from. That good friend of the pod, Rafa Honigstein, came from that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shameless plug. Don't care. Um, Kev, how about yourself? What do you think about it? Um, to be honest, I've watched a clip with the artificial noise and I didn't think it was that bad, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's just because I haven't watched football in ages and in my desperation to have football back, I'll take anything. <laughs> yeah. um, All of us. But the, 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 the cardboard cut out, I thought it was a bit ridiculous. But now you've said 
that they were actual sort of visuals of people. It's not, it's not, it's not a bad idea to be honest with you, but it's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I don't know. I just think we have to go with the times, don't we? We have to just go True. with the times sometimes. Just thinking about the artificial noise, I think it depends on the occasion more than anything. So they're saying if you're in a playoff, play, uh, you know, like a championship playoff semi-final or a playoff final, it would make more sense for that occasion as opposed to Burnley mm. v Southampton, Gosh, yeah. for example. Yeah. Um, I think if it fits the occasion, it makes sense. But just for a normal game, it, it, really, it doesn't really bother me. So, mm. I, think, I mean, just, go on, sorry. I just on the cardboard cutout, I just... I just don't see how how that could work. I mean, just imagine you're a footballer, and you go up to the touchline to take a throw in, and you look up. And it's yeah, no, it is weird. It's weird. It's, are they playing a joke on me or something? I guess it's better than what they did in It's better than what they did in Korea, isn't it? Where they had the sex dolls. So that was a bit. Uh, I'm just going to come on to that. I was going to say, imagine you're a footballer, you look up, and it's a a picture of the uh, cardboard cut. It's actually a nice woman. Oh, hilarious. <laughs> I think it will be interesting to see eventually when the Premier League does come back to see how we respond to it. I mean, I was just trying to think of some ideas while you guys were speaking. I don't know, perhaps having uh, a, a speaker that links up to each fan's cut out or whatever, mm. they can place mm. them on the seat or I don't know, and then it'll literally be just like the game is so. I don't know. There's it's so hard. I mean, do you get like twenty thousand speakers like per oh. <laughs> like bring bring back fans on? Yeah, fa- honestly, yeah, say yeah, something like fans would be absolutely brilliant. Like having like a fan commentary. I don't know why fans are never stopped. I thought it was hilarious. Um, yeah, obviously, just make it so it's PG. What you say, yeah, that kind of thing. I think apart from the. No, honestly, yeah, I think there's there's definitely there's like scope to improve. So let's see what Premier League brings out. See what the Bundesliga does. Anyway, moving on. So yeah, the main fulcrum of this pod is the what was the anniversary on Monday, which is the 2005 final. We we're speaking just before we started about it being 15 years ago, and that is just insane. Doesn't really feel like it was that long ago. I fully remember the game myself despite being only 11 years old to Kev's disgust um I was downstairs in my living room I was watching the game watching with my dad it was we were 3-0 up sorry we were 3-0 down obviously at half time my dad my dad goes upstairs and I'm going to bed like screw this me none the wise I've been 11 I'm like what's worse I can happen I'll just sit sit down here I kept watching it yeah and suddenly we've been like no I don't know the the next how many minutes it it became 3-3 I go upstairs to shout to my dad that it's it's free free. He's like almost half, he's like almost asleep already now, and I go and wake him up, and he says to me, "If if I'm lying, I'm gonna get the beating of my life." A joke on him. He comes down to to his to his complete shock. He finds us that we're free free. Um, <laughs> so finds finds that we've come back. He scored three goals. So I was jumping around in the joy I've never seen my dad do it in my entire life to this day. Um, so yeah, that was that's my distinct memory. I don't remember anything after. All I remember is them winning and everyone going happy, amazing. Um, but yeah, so my question to you guys, um, first of all, is which I always like to do after watching a game back in that now, um, is that if you have, do you have any changes in perspective 
um, after watching the game recently that perhaps you didn't have way back when, when you watched it in 2005? So I'll start with you, Mark. Cool. Um, so let me go through what I completely remember from the day and what I would change. So 3 no down, I remember crying when the remote at the couch. My dad was an Arsenal fan. So I went up to him and I was like, yeah, dad, like, I'm upset. Can you help me? He was like, oh, don't worry. It's only football. Give me all that nonsense. I was going mad. <laughs> to the point where I went upstairs and I didn't know there was a first goal. So I didn't see Gerard's goal. I haven't seen it in a lifetime. Mm. I came back downstairs and I don't know what prompted me to come back downstairs, but I came back downstairs. I saw it was 3-1 and I was completely spun. So I called and maybe there's a chance. Maybe I should watch it just because. Um, the thing that I remember most vividly is Dudek save um, against, was it Shevchenko, the double save? Yeah, that's the image that's ingrained in my head. Mm. That's the moment that I was going absolutely nuts and what I can remember the most vividly. I don't think there would be any changes because we won. Why would you change a winning formula? Mm. Um, no, but then I meant as in, sorry, Mark, perhaps I didn't phrase it properly. I meant as in, is there anything... Oh, sorry, changes in perspective, my bad. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. I think at the time when I was young, I didn't understand how influential Gerard was in that game. Mm. Um, because I was only 11 myself, I know I don't look it. I look about 11 right now. <laughs> but I didn't understand how much he carried a game. So I remember maybe a few weeks after seeing that he was popping up at right back and he played at right back for a spell in the game. And I really, really didn't understand what it meant to do that and do that for a team. So I feel like I have a different sort of appreciation for the players that played and especially being 3 no down. And now that I've played football myself and played in matches that I would consider big matches and being 3 4 no down myself, I can imagine my mindset at that stage. And I feel like my perspective has changed a lot on the mental toughness of each and every player on that day. Because 3-0 down at half-time is one of the worst places to be, especially in a big, big final. Yeah. What can you even go in and say to each other? I can't imagine much was said in the changing room. So, Yeah, no, it, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is crazy. Like, And obviously, um, recently we had Rafael Benitez go on uh, Monday Night Football and also like give us a bit of a deep dive into what was this legendary um, team talk being 3-0 down. Turns out that he literally... He basically didn't use his time wisely at all. He told um, Jimmy Traore to jump because because he, his English wasn't that good. He used to say "shower," which obviously means sub, right? So he told Jimmy Traore "shower," so that means that he was, he was about to come off. Um, and all of that, there was a, there, um, Steve Finnan, who was the who was a right back at the time, was like uh, was begrudgingly being told to come off because he actually had an, an injury, so he had to come off. So he was like Finnan shower, um, Jimmy back or something like that something along those lines so he that was basically his entire halftime team talk and he gave like a little spiel at the end and it obviously wasn't too extensive because his English wasn't that good obviously just arriving from Spain the year before mm. so that was literally the legendary team talk which is so interesting because that would if we go into that question later on that in, in its own shows the, the leadership that, that Steven Gerrard had in our team but yeah um Kev how about you what do you think now, after watching the game, you said that you were a certain age. I'm not going to say, you know, no one needs to. You said you were a certain age at this time when you watched this game in 2005. 
after watching it more recently, is there anything you've maybe perhaps given a bit more appreciation to or been like, wow, you were really, you were a really bad player? <laughs> or just anything from oh, Milan? Or brilliant start. I think you started it well for me, to be honest, because you mentioned Jimmy Traore. Oh, my God. I don't like to dig players out yet. But please understand, for 45 minutes, he was He was dreadful. so bad! He was so bad! You know what? I have it in my notes. Right? I'm so happy no, he said no, this. No. He was okay. so bad! I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll try not to take anything from your notes yet, but the first minute of the game, he received the ball left back, yeah. kicked it line, gave the ball away. And fouled him. Uh, then fouled, I can't remember the player, yeah, Crespo, Shevchenko, someone. They score from that. Um, the second goal comes down his side. He was just woeful the whole game. So, looking back, I, I don't know how he came back on after, after half time, to be honest with you. That's one of the most shocking performances yeah. I've ever seen from a Liverpool player. And was that the same season when he back killed it into the, yeah, the goal yes, against Burnley as well? Yeah, against, uh, against Burnley. In the season, yeah, yeah, yeah. Scoring one of the best own goals. <laughs> listen, and listen, like I said, I don't want to dig anyone out, but he has the cheek to tweet about Istanbul and what a wonderful day it was. <laughs> he was shocking. Absolutely shocking. Um, but yeah, onto the game. Looking back at it now, I must say... What Kaka did in the first 60 minutes, if we're talking about opposition, I don't know how he wasn't man of the match. Scary. Sorry, scary. No, mm. no, 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 no. Absolutely no. scary. What, he, what? Like, so Gerard, obviously, Gerard was my favourite player at the time with Kaka. Mm. And what Kaka did to him was mercy. Yeah. Beautiful. Just taking off my bias hat, it was beautiful, yeah? Um, in regards to any Liverpool player, I think improved. Do you know who worked bad? Luis yeah. Garcia. Luis Garcia is one of my favorite Liverpool he, players. Yeah, he 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 was actually on the sort of cusp of the game trying things. It wasn't coming off, but at least he was trying. Um, Barros headless. Barros was terrible. And then, as you say, I think obviously in the second half, Stevie got a bit more grip of the game because. Hamman was able to come on, be his bodyguard, and sure, up a little bit more. Similar to what sort of yeah, similar to what Marco said. I think with Gerard, I wouldn't say without washing down his achievement, he was more a driving force of the game. Like I wouldn't say it was he absorbed the most quality, but he was the driving force of the game. And you know, like the Italian teams after that, sixty minutes they buckled. Yeah, we just capitalised on that and then sort of took. Held our own within the game as such. But um, if I was to change anything from that game, I think I wouldn't have started Harry Kuehl. I'd have put maybe Luis Garcia as the number 10. And who did we have? I probably would have started Cissé. Oh, interesting. interesting. Yeah, I would have started Cissé. Because it's brilliant that you bring up Cissé because... Um... Because a friend of the pod, Rob Mush, says that, <laughs> I don't have a question, but I'd like to say that Milan Baros and Jibril Cissé scored three goals between them that Champions League campaign, and I hate them for how crap they were. So, Milan Baros slander is completely accepted, but this is an Africans-only podcast, <laughs> so we do not take any sort of abuse from Jibril Cissé. Um, no, but 
on a serious note, Jibo Cissé actually had a double fracture um, yeah. leg break uh, just how many months earlier? It was in October, so that was about seven months just before. Yeah, it was, against, about, uh, it was against Blackburn, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. That was his 10th game on since then. Nine of them, including that game, was were a substitutes. So I guess you can excuse Rafa for perhaps not starting him. He was a bit worried um, about Cissé. And you can actually tell, if you watch the game, you can tell Cissé is very reluctant, understandably, to go into challenges a bit too full-hearted. You know what I mean? Like, he was... Obviously, when you break your leg, um, I mean, you're not going to really want to... You're not going to... Like, if you pull your hamstring or you rip it, you're not going to sprint full out anymore. You know what I mean? Like, you're, you're still, you've still got a bit of PTSD there. So you, you can see that from Cissé. So perhaps that's why. Um, Barosh, in saying that, was woeful. I'd like to agree with you on that. But yeah, anyway, um, so thank you for that, Kev. Brilliant. Uh, Alec, how about yourself? What are your change perspectives on the game, thoughts on the game? Um, yeah, so I think, as uh, as Chris mentioned earlier, you know, I was, I remember when, like, 2005 time I was, you know, going to school and, you know, being a Liverpool fan then wasn't the best because you're just surrounded by Arsenal fans, United oh my fans. Goodness. I hear that. And then, and then yeah. all of a sudden, these these Chelsea fans pop up out of nowhere as well. Like, <laughs> What's going on? Yeah. But we'll just let them know that the 05, 04-05 season will be remembered for the Champions League and not their first title win, yeah? Mm-hmm. And then... Um, you, you, but yeah. Oh, jeez. Look at the bars. Yeah. You tell them, bro. Gems. Gems. <laughs> um. I think coming on to the game, the man, my man of the match, I think, has to be Stevie. Mm. I think um, the header, you know, you just galvanise the team, you know, urging the fans on straight away. Yeah. Um, he ran through on goal for, for the third one, uh, the penalty. Um, and then I think also, I think in Rafa's um, tactical analysis with Jamie, you know, he had, to, he had to move to the right back as well and defend Serginho. Because I think he just came on and he was just running down the wing, you know, just 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 tearing it up there. So I think Gerard had to come on and, and do a job there. Um, but if there's something that I would change or change in perspective, to be honest with with you, Harold, nothing. For me, it was it was the greatest night ever. You know, we 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 were a shit team. You know, we didn't we didn't deserve on paper. We didn't deserve anything from that game. Mm. And to come 3-0 down against the Italians, you know, we used up two, two of all our subs by half-time. You know, Kiel, Kiel was off, Smyce had come on, even Smyce as well. Yeah. He, what what game he had? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was 32 years old and... Um, Last game. Six months out as well. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, you know, just to come back and, you know, just to really put the sword in, I, I, think, it was, I think it was amazing. And to be honest with you, I wouldn't... I wouldn't change anything. Um, probably in the run-up to the final, I think I think one player for me. I know I would not put him in my top three strikers for Liverpool, but Luis Garcia. And I know we've had some contentious debate about that in the past. Mm. But um, I, I think Garcia's involvement in the run-up to the final was was also crucial. I think um, he scored the goals against Leverkusen. Um, he got you know what ended up being the winning goal against Juventus. Yeah as well as Chelsea. Um, so I definitely think his, his involvement, especially in the run-up to the final, shouldn't, um, shouldn't go missed. Yeah. I'd... But, um, yeah, for me, it was, it was the greatest night. And, um, yeah, I wouldn't change anything. Fair enough. Yeah, no, I definitely, I definitely do agree. 
with the, the, the Lewis Plus here shout. I don't, we do always seem to have this big game player in our, in our team. Obviously, Gerard's the mainstay throughout it, but Luis Garcia, Kaut, they just seem to pop up to get that important goal for us. Um, we did say something, and that was um, Gerard's header. Fun fact for you guys, out of Ger- Gerard's scored 12 headers in his career, I can most safely say, I think that is his greatest header he's ever scored. He, he was almost, he literally just about inside the box when he gets that, that goal in against Dida. And just to, just to recap for our younger listeners, let me tell you the back four that, in fact, the back five that AC Milan had, which wow. really this it's it's actually it's scary. Something um, so they had Dida, they had Dida in goal, which believe it or not was the worst of the five. They had Maldini at left back. They had Nesta at centre back, along with Yap Stam, and they had Cafu at right back. Now both fullbacks, so Maldini and Cafu, were in mid to late thirty. So Cafu was thirty four, Maldini was thirty seven. I've never seen players play. So in such a disrepresentation of their age in my life, especially Cafu, he honestly, he's, he's ridiculous. Like he was up and down that right-hand side, quality of balls, like output, defensively fantastic. So that's what we we're up against. And yeah, somehow we pulled through, which I think was fantastic. Awesome. So I'm going to ask you guys another question. Um, some, Alex already answered his, but Krish, who is your man of the match from the game? So I want to give you a bit of a, t- a time to think about it. Um, it can be from either AC Milan or Liverpool. So, yeah, please let me know who your man of the match is and why. I think Kev made a really good point with the Kaka shout because, you know, watching it, in, you know, watching it at the time, you're seeing this kind of mercurial footballer. And, you know, he's, he's, but back then he was... I mean, even even now, when you've seen him playing in like what seven aside games in in London, um, you still kind of like you see this guy, and even though he's like in his forties now, you see this majestic kind of kind of guy, got like godlike status, and you know his touch and everything, you know the way he moved the ball, the pa- the pass he did for um, Crespo for the third goal, oh my it's, God, it's it absolutely absurd, absolutely. and I mean at, at the time. I don't think I pre you know being 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 thirteen you know being kind of caught up in that oh fuck, fuck you guys for like scoring free. Uh, it's not until a, it's not it's literally not until about a, a few years ago when I watched the game back I didn't appreciate how good he played and just the quality of that delivery and just how that goal was just it, that ball ripped our entire back four to shreds and then the finish from Crespo was just absolutely superb as well. Um, you know, Carragher, I still think Carragher should have cut that out. He was literally like that far away from it, wasn't he? Like from yeah. the ball. You know, he did address that on one of that put when he was like, <laughs> honestly, he was like, if oh, he, was he, he effectively said, if I stretched any further, my, I'm sure I would have dislocated my leg. Like, there's not <laughs> like there was anything else he could have done. Like, yeah, but I mean, he, he, he was never blessed with pace, was he? I think on that, because that was, I was, sorry, go on. No, no, I, I think, so, sorry, Chris, coming back to the Kappa uh, point. I think I read somewhere that, well, actually, I saw it as well. He was doing his shin pad when Smisa scored the second goal. And if he wasn't touching up his shin pad, he would have been marking Didi Haman. So, therefore, he wouldn't have obviously got the ball out to Smisa, who struck the ball. Mm-hmm. Go back and, and watch it again. And you, you see, for our second goal, he's there just fiddling around with his shin pad. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, I think, ultimately what led to the second goal. Mm-hmm. Take a look at that. It's uh, quite interesting. That's a cardinal sin right there, isn't it? It's just yeah. a, that's, right. Graham Sunes have had an absolute blinder. 
I had to watch that watch that um, game. Obviously, not saying my age anyway, but <laughs> I watched it with an Arsenal fan and a, um, a Chelsea fan. Obviously, first goal goes in after a minute. Second goal goes in, and I don't know if you guys know. Um, there's a Nas tune featuring Quan. Um, just a moment. Yeah. Can I please have a moment of silence? After the first half, brilliant. Both of them played that the loudest in my ear and just sung it for the whole time until we scored our first goal. So that that song, anytime I hear it, always relates to Istanbul 2005. That is that is that is foul, you know. Like that honestly, is, that is absolutely clear. <laughs> oh man. Oh yes, yes. So Chris, I'm I'm actually sure you chose your your man of the match. Who, who did you say? Um. Sorry, I'm so, so busy with Maureen Kaka that I forgot. Um, um, I think it has to be uh, Dudek for, I mean, Ooh. in a game where it, it's, it's just indicative of, you know, his performance. In a game where, you know, you, you, don't, you, you didn't really, you really allow three goals, did he? I think there were, when you look back at them, all three goals were, you know, really good constructed goals. Um, even the best of keepers would have had a bit of a bother. Maybe probably not for the first one, but... You know, we'll let bygones be bygones. Uh, looking back at it, but again, yeah, the the double shape, the double save from Shevchenko. There was a few more stops in there. Absolutely he commanded the box. Um, Absolutely ridiculous. He was a bit flappy at some points mm. in in the game, though. You know, fortunately, you can't really let that just like um, define his game itself because it didn't result in anything. Fortunately for him, the times where he he did. He did more good than he did wrong. And obviously, as you, you're probably about to allude to, but his penalties. He, he. I was about to say he stood up strong, but he did the. He did the exact opposite. He did the spaghetti legs like Robillard and. He's doing the stanky leg, wasn't he? On the yeah. <laughs> on, the, on the byline. So. <laughs> but no, I and mean. Also, also, for some of the penalty saves, he was so far off the line. Yeah. He was almost like a penalty spot. <laughs> in a, um, if you that's like one of those ones, if you do that in this era now, VAR would be on your ass. Like, oh mate, that would be awful. Like, what the hell? Are you? you're, you're literally so close, mate. Like, you can't be doing that. Oh man, fantastic. Okay, um, I just want to ask you guys this question. Yeah, okay. So obviously, you guys spoke, spoke about different moments in the game. There was Gerard's goal. There was Smeets's goal. There was Dudek's double save. But Mark, let me ask you: What at what point in the game were you convinced that we would actually come through and we'd win it? The double save, double save. Same, same. Yeah. Can't. A lot of goals about in the 60th minute, and I thought like there was still so much time for their quality to show through, especially with the players that they had on the pitch. Like that was literally a team full of legends, and especially when you're playing the game of football, you never know what moment of what time the moment of quality will come in the game could come in the 80th minute. It just literally takes a second to score a goal. And then when the double save happened, because I was literally screaming at the TV when Shevchenko got the first one, and all of a sudden, Dudek's on the floor and he saves the second one somehow. Yeah, and it was just written in the stars by then. It made no sense. And also, on that, on that note, Shev, I've never seen a player as good as Shevchenko go missing in such a big mm. game. But after... Playing so well in, in, the, in the first half. So he played very well in the first half, despite not screwing. Crespo scored both, unless I'm mistaken. Yeah, he scored both. And obviously we had, um, was it Maldini? He scored first. So Shevchenko had a decent first half. He obviously created the, the second goal. The, on, 
second half, he was he went completely missing. He had a decent chance where um, I, I don't know if it was him, but okay. Anyway, it was someone blocked it on the line. That person, that person was was um, Jimmy Traore. Oh, okay. <laughs> he blocked it. He blocked it on the line, which I actually had down as like, okay, perhaps he's not doing so bad anymore. Once we went, once obviously Haman came on and then literally rejigged our whole team, there was just so much more balance. So I just want to, just want to go more on the second half and exactly what Rafa did to make us far more threatening or far more stable. Obviously, Haman came on, freed up Gerard. Haman also sat on Kaka. I did not let him go anywhere, which I am, to this day, if, I, if you told me, now, without watching the final, that Haman would be able to do that to Kaka, I'd be like, well, of, of course not. Like, he's long and langly. Kaka is short, nippy, great touch. Of course, he's not going to be able to get past. But obviously, as, as we saw, Haman did a fantastic job on him. And yeah, the rest is, the rest is history, as we should say. Um, so let me ask you guys, um, ignoring the final for just a second, what is or what was your favourite game in the build-up to the final? So, yeah, so from after the group stages, let's not include that. Should I go, yeah? Um, sorry, Kev, yeah, let's start with you. That's all right. Um, I'm torn between Juventus at Anfield, the 2-1, and Anfield-Chelsea 1-0. The Juventus game, I won't lie, I thought we was going to get smoked. So when we came out first half and dominated them, I was like, okay. And then we won the game, I was like, wow, that really happened. Uh, obviously, we then went through. But then I think the atmosphere, and because we was playing English rivals, Chelsea, Jose, 1-0, Ghost goal, yeah, whatever. Exactly, and the way we went through. And, and the way we went through. Like, and we scored, we scored early as well. And then just, it was just like, it was like watching a film, like just a cliffhanger for the rest of the game. So I'm going to edge towards Chelsea, the Chelsea game, 1-0. That's King Louis. King Louis. <laughs> which, which was a completely legitimate goal, my ad. Marco, um, how, about, how about you? I'm definitely going to have to go for Chelsea. Yeah. Um, just to go on to what Terry said about English opposition. Um, the fact that I remember that game a little bit more vividly than the Juventus game as well. Um, and the fact that Luis Garcia scored being one of my favourite Liverpool players at the time. And the manner of the goal, of course. Mm. And Chris, just on that game, before you, before you tell me your um, favourite game in the build-up, which I would like you to, there is something that you do normally add for people to know. Um, despite that, obviously, that being that ghost goal at the Chelsea game. So... Please, please, would you enlighten the fans about if it were to be ruled out, what would have happened anyway? Uh, it would have been a penalty uh, to Liverpool and Peter Cech would have been sent off because it was a clear foul on Milan Barros. So, they should, they, so you're saying that they should have been happier that they should have been 1-0 down as opposed to 10 men down and 1-0 down, right? They should have been completely happy because if I remember their backup goalkeeper at the time might have been... Cudicini? It might have been Cudicini, yeah. It was either Cudicini or Edgar Hoy. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah. Anyway, that being said, so they should have been happy with that. So, I mean, ghost goal or no ghost goal, it was, it was a goal in my books. Oh, how about your, how about your, um, your favorite game in the in the build up to the final? Um, I might, have, I'm gonna go a little bit left field here. Um, the, I think the Juventus game, it, it's either the Juventus game, the first leg was was, was really was. was a classic because that Juventus type, that Juventus team at the time 
was massively good as well. I mean, you know, Ned. They were incredible, man. They were um, incredible. They're just really good. Um, and obviously to get the draw in the second leg as well, going away and getting that, get that draw. But I think the game for me, the kind of, I thought, okay, cool. We can maybe do something in this competition. You know, maybe not. Let's just see where it goes. Um, was the 3-1 away of Bayer Leverkusen. Um, as we played them a few seasons before, when we got back into the Champions League, I think it might have been 01, 02. Um, and they beat us when they went to the final and they lost to Bayern Munich. Actually, no, did they lose to Bayern? No, I think they... they... Was that a Bayern Munich? Was it Real Madrid? Was it Real Madrid? Yeah, it was. It was the one where Zidane scored that absolute worldie. It was, yes, yes, 0-1. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they beat us that season. Um, and I think it just showed the kind of the progression that that team went on. Because mostly it was kind of the same guys from that that, that squad that went through, you know, your Sammy Huppiers, uh, Dudex, Carragher, Gerrards. And just showed the progression and the growth of those guys to, to go away and get a free, you know, and get the win. Because um, we actually did fairly well in that game against Bayer Leverkusen in the first leg. I mean, Sammy Hoppier scored an absolute towering header and seemed to do the exact same thing in the first leg as well, kind of like have premonitions of that. So that holds a bit of a special place in my heart. I think, I think that 3-1 game, we went into the second leg. I think, I think we were winning 3-0 at home. And then we conceded a silly goal a in the last goal. minute. Yeah. So I was a bit nervous going, going into the second leg. And then I think Garcia again popped up with two goals in the second leg. And I was just like, oh, well, yeah. I'll take that. I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Awesome. So, yeah, obviously, as we know, the 05 final was absolutely fantastic. And obviously, seeing the scenes from the game afterwards, it looked like yeah, a complete party. AC Milan fans, which were, of which there weren't very many in comparison to Liverpool fans. It was, yeah, a fantastic celebration. You can see Stevie Gerrard's face as he before he's about to lift his trophy. All of these exertions, playing at, playing at left back, playing at right back. We went to almost like a five. I think Rafa said in, it, said on Monday Night Football, we went to like a 5-3-1-1 at, at, at one point where Gerrard just literally got the ball on the right and just hoofed it to Cissé, who did absolutely nothing every single time with the ball. But fortunately, obviously, we came through on penalties. Dudex, fantastic performance. Yeah, and we, and we got our fifth trophy, which we were allowed to keep. Yeah, that was our 05 final. Amazing. Do you, so guys remember how, do you guys remember how late it was, by the way, when that game ended? It was like half 11 at night, 12 o'clock at night. It was, it was a Wednesday, innit? It? It, it was a Wednesday, Wednesday yeah, because the, the show the finals... Yeah, it was back when ITV... And yeah, finals were on Wednesday, yeah, which sure. I do kind of miss. Oh, it, was, ex- it, it is it is really funny that you say that, yeah, because I remember them because I had the um the ITV uh, commentary on. So obviously, I had um Clive Tilsey. I think it's Peter Drury as well. Yeah. Um, there and they were like, oh, uh, don't worry about um, don't worry that Celebrity Love Island will be become it will come after this game, guys. So please, <laughs> just beware. I'm like, can you? Forget about Love Island. Like, what's going on? Like, is this not more important? Anyway, I thought I'd had that in. I thought that was hilarious. But I love I, Island. I, 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 went, I went to a bar after, so I've given an indication of my <laughs> age. <laughs> but, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I went, I went to a bar, had a, had a few brandy and cokes. You, oh, mate. I, I, I would have I forgot everything I just watched. Yeah, just I would have had a blur. I would have had a blur. <laughs> Okay, awesome. So moving on from that fantastic game, um, I'm just talking about signing. So obviously, 
now uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna call it BC and AC. So before COVID and after COVID and after COVID, make things a little easier. So BC, not before Christ. Um, there was like I guess the market is obviously in a different was in a different place in regards to transfers, and it was pretty much looking like a steady. Like a, like a sure thing that we would probably land Tiba Werner. It just, it just seemed like it would, it would fit. So I just want to ask you guys, is there any, um, and Dan, I want to come to you first. Is there been any changes in, or better yet, what are your expectations now for who Liverpool sign um, as opposed to who you think they will actually sign? If Hopefully that makes sense. No, uh, complete sense, Harold. Um, I think it's, you know, we went the previous transfer window without actually signing anyone. Um, so my expectations going into this this upcoming window, you know, uh, BC, um, was that there'd be a larger transfer spend available for, you know, Edwards and Clark to kind of bring in any reinforcements. Um, yeah. So, you know, yeah, if the potential was there to go for, you know, a Jaden Sancho, let's say, um, they may kind of fork out the extra money just to kind of go and do that. Um, the short of the expositions, Kind of, you know, we're lacking a uh, a deputy fullback uh, on the left hand side and potentially on the right hand side. But I think Neko Williams can do that job now. Um, well, mm. you know, will we need another centre back if Lovren leaves? Um, you know, what happens with Ronaldo's contract? Would we have to get another central midfielder in? So you kind of have these grand ideas that you can kind of fill all these positions and you can bring about five five players in um, with the amount of players that go out and spend, you know, possibly 150 million on new players. But after COVID, I think I've kind of realised that that's a little bit more of a uh, more of a fantasy than anything uh, at this point. Obviously, seeing that a lot of football clubs are in financial distress um, from, from this, and it actually shows how cash-strapped a lot of clubs are. Uh, hope, yeah. I'm you know, quite thankful that we're, we're not in that position. You know, we're a really well-run establishment. Uh, thanks mm. to FSG for that one. Um, but yeah, I think I'm a lot more I'm a lot more calm about things. I think there's going to be a lot more development from within. I think. The players who want to leave will be allowed to leave. So you kind of you Shakiras and your Lovrens, I think they will be allowed to leave. But I think there might be some swap deals involved there as well. So let's say if you say, say, say let's say if Lovren went to uh, Roma, we might get um, kind of I can't remember the guy's name Zanolo. He's kind of like a um, midfielder. Uh, yeah, so Nicholas he's Zanolo. Yeah, yeah. So I think we may kind of like work something in where we pay ten million, get him in. Um, you know, I think the Werner. The Werner deal. Let's 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 see let's see what happens there because it it seems like there's interest. Not even like it seems. There's definite interest from both both parties. One of them's twerking, the other one's kind of receiving the wine. Um, controlling <laughs> 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 it on the wall. <laughs> um, so let's you know. Hopefully that happens. Um, and then there's you know um, soundings about you know Hossam Awar from Leon potentially being available for a bit of a cut price free. So. I think it's going to be, I think Rafa said it last week, good friend of the pod, Rafa Hanigstein, a little shameless plug there. Um, he said there's going to be a lot more kind of searching for, for value in the market, which is where Michael Edwards and, you know, that whole scouting department really excel. So there might be yeah. the, the, the small amount of deals coming in as opposed to the larger ones we're more used to in the coming seasons. Cool. Awesome. To be honest with you, I feel like you summed it up. <laughs> for, 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 for all of us but I'm going to ask one more person anyway um, yeah so is there anyone um, I'm going to come to you Adek is there anyone that you you have an expectation of signing if I bet you I'm going to go I'm gonna ask you like this is there anyone that you have an expectation um, signing BC um, as opposed to the reality that we actually are going to sign AC 
Mbappe. <laughs> what was that even here? You have your call. Mbappe. Oh. <laughs> I tried to just sneak it in there. I tried to just sneak it in there. Uh, the, the agenda gets pushed to 2021. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> really? I, I was actually going to come on and I was actually going to say Mbappe as well. But I, ha- okay. I have my reasons for it as well. Because I think, you know, going back a couple of years, we got the money from Coutinho that was recycled mm-hmm. and we used it for Van Dijk and Alisson. And I just think as a club, we've gone global now. You know, since then, we've won two Champions League finals. We've won the Club World Cup. And last year, we didn't spend anything. And with the night kit deal as well going through earlier this year, I was keeping quiet and I had my fingers crossed that, you know, we're going to get a marquee signing here. And I really thought, I really thought we were going to go and get Mbappe. Genuinely, I did. Um, But obviously, you know, the financial situation has completely changed. And... um, I think realistically, Werner is probably the only guy we could realistically get. You know, as as Chris put it, there's interest from both sides, and um, and even if we don't get him this window, I know with the release clause and everything that's happening there, we could probably get him for slightly cheaper. But um, yeah, my, my my I mean, coming back to the original question, my my expectation was was a big marquee signing just based on the fact that you know we. We've actually gone global, you know, huge. We've become so huge, especially in the past two years. And I thought that, yeah, we we were going to get like a big marquee signing this year. Yeah. And just enough. to add to that, um, so I believe DC anyway that with outgoings as well, because I feel that we could possibly raise a hundred. Well, BC we could possibly raise a hundred mil. Um, Harry Wilson going out, Shakiri going out. There's a few fringe players who we do need to shift, and I felt like we could have raised that amount. Yeah. Um, especially to add that to the fact that we didn't sign anyone last summer, all that extra income would have contributed to us believing that Mbappe would come. I still do feel like we will get a couple signings. Um, I feel like we'll spend 100 mil max. Whether that be whether that outlay be on one player, which could be Kyle Havertz, or whether it be on two players, maybe ideally anyway, Werner and Auer, or whoever Mac Edwards sees as feasible and will contribute to the team. Yeah. But with the night deal, I do see Mac wanting to have a face to bring in as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I can't imagine them trying to do a whole new kit launch with, I guess, with the same players. Yeah, they're. Premier League winning players, but you would want to bring in a fresh face that would be the budding face yeah. for the whole I, time of the contract. I think I remember seeing something about them coming on board and maybe taking Mane from New Balance and bringing him on. Oh, really? I was gonna, yeah. I was gonna say, I don't, none of the front three are Nike, are they? No, but no, I, the, I know what Virgil is. Okay, yeah, yeah, I think yeah, Virgil, yeah. Ox, and Henderson. Yeah. Yeah. They're night boys. I think yeah, you can see a lot of campaigns that Nike that Nike are doing with Virgil, especially, um, and obviously him being cover of FIFA at the moment as well. So I don't know, perhaps that. But yeah, no, definitely what you're saying about the marquee signing. Um, yeah, we definitely do feel like we need areas, probably midfield, centre back or centre half, um, fullback, and obviously a forward. So those are the four I'd say. I think we would be daft, especially in this transfer window, 
to not improve. I think we can all agree on that. Agree on that. With Chelsea obviously having that kitty that they have built up from obviously being banned for make, tra- making transfers. You have City who obviously spend big every year, regardless. And obviously, yeah. it looks like they're gonna fall, they're gonna miss out on the Premier League. So, and there's been a there's been a, there's just a huge gulf in like in the the difference of, of points between us and Man City. So they naturally Pep is gonna go back to the board and say I need to bridge that gap via X amount of players, right? So and obviously they have money and being funded by the state, you obviously have money in in X amounts. So life is good. So yeah, yeah, we would definitely be remiss if we weren't to to look at to bolster our squad. What do you, what do you guys think? Will I'll say AC after COVID, Nabi's should have been resting, so that's a new player. Ox should have rested. So, listen, I don't think the squad's that bad. You saw the big smile. So, you saw the big smile that <laughs> Nabi's been resting. <laughs> so, in essence, yeah, I think, listen, if we can't get Werner, I still reckon we'll get him next season. Mm. Yeah, but I'd go and unsettle Saka from Arsenal. Yeah, not, not matter. Because I feel that he, he can play left back. Yeah, no matter that. He can play left wing. He's young, and English I don't think the compo would be that much. English, powerful, can get up and down. Um, sometimes I, f- I always feel like you just got to go for these players, just turn their head, and then he might have a bad season next season because we've turned his head. But I mean, we get in the following season. I mean, you're joining the six-time winning UCL team, just won the Premier League. They want you at left back. You've clearly seen, of despite Arsenal doing the same thing, come and play, like embedding their youth products, like all these kind of things. I think you'd be daft not to at least listen to the offer. So yeah, absolutely, I agree mm. with you. It's so like yeah, you've seen the, you've um, seen the trajectory that Trent's gone on from the literally yeah. opposite flank. Yeah, yeah. You can come in and replicate yeah. that. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And, yeah. and you can play left wing as well. And you'll be loved yeah. by the fan base, which which definitely is a big thing. I mean, there's not. It's not one day that Trent isn't reminded that he is literally heart and soul about him being the scout. So like it's yeah, it's I, I definitely think that there is there's a lot of reasons why someone would come, especially a young player. But cool. Anyway, let's let's see how that that plans out. Um just before we go into this discussion, I just want to ask you guys. Um we've obviously the season, I don't know, coming to an end somewhat. I guess round about when the Premier League starts again, they probably will announce the PFA player of the year. So I just want to ask you guys, are, have we considered to the fact that Henderson will be the Premier League Player of the Year? Or do you feel as though the accolade belongs to someone else? It doesn't necessarily have to be a Liverpool player. So, Mark, I can see you smiling, so I'm going to start with you. I'm going to start with you. I've conceded to the fact. Um, I don't want to say completely deserved, but I can understand why you'd be giving it. Um... I would say if City were better, I would have went Kevin De Bruyne because his assist total and his output this season has been ridiculous. Yeah, you know what? But, I, I do agree with that. It is really difficult giving it to a team who are so far off from the top. Exactly. So I can understand why you would give it to Henderson, especially him being the captain of the team that is absolutely blitz in the PL. And it's, he has contributed himself. Um, so I can understand why I have conceded to it. Anyone else more deserving? I can't say yes because Henderson has been a big part of this title push. Mm. Fair enough. 
cool. Yeah, does anyone feel as though someone other than Henderson should be given the player of the year? Please speak now or forever. Hold your peace. Um, I've always thought Mane should get it, to be honest with you. But Henderson is going to be a Premier League winning captain. And I mean, I don't know if you guys remember that season Ryan Giggs won it. Yeah, I do. All he done was he scored a goal against West Ham. I think he played about 10 games. 11 games. Yeah, yeah. and he won it. So, I mean, as much as I don't rate Henderson, but being fair, if Giggs can win it for doing that, Henderson should be in with a shout. But my vote would go to Barney, to be honest with you. Cool. And you wouldn't have any complaints for me if that was the case. Not from here either. Anik, Chris, how about you? Well, go on, Chris. I feel like there's a slight case to be made for, for Virgil to kind of repeat the award just because of the kind of the defensive stability that we've had. Um, possibly, possibly Salah as well. I think you can make you can make an argument for for Virgil, Mane, and Salah just in terms of obviously the importance that they've had to the team. But it's, it's like you've said, Harold. You know, Premier League winning captain. You know, uh, not nec- You know, he is very much kind of heart and soul of the team. I think you've seen a lot since there's been nothing else to write about how Henderson's been integral to you know, the, mood, the mood at Melwood, getting the players going, kind of putting a little bit of an armour on everyone's shoulder. And yeah. as much as I think it would begrudge certain sections of the fan base to admit, he has actually played really well this season. Um, you know, sometimes he's not outstanding, but he's always been there. His positional awareness, I think the season has been really good in terms of filling in, you know, kind of like when Trent's been pushing up. And he's just been that ever-present leader. And at some point, you've just got to take your hands off and applaud that. Mm. And I think somewhat over, overstated recently and actually somewhat underestimated or under, underappreciated um, in previous times is the mental aspect of the game. Obviously, those that play it and study the game perhaps have a bit more appreciation towards it. But perhaps just for, a, just for an everyday fan, um, the mental side of the game is not to the extent that important for them. Um, and don't get me wrong, it's not—it's nowhere near as, as important as the physical aspects of the game, of course. But I do think Henderson does hold a lot of the mental—the mental attributes that a that a winner has. So yeah. just that that will to succeed, that um, that endeavor, that drive, kind of thing. That kind of thing is what is the reason why I believe he is captain. Like, there's a reason why he survived so many ten years, as we often say, of 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 managers at Liverpool. He's still here, one of the few players to still be here since. Since like what the turn of the decade, or well, more or less, so so yeah, there's definitely reason as to why I do believe he should win it, and I'm slowly resigning to the fact that he probably will win it, whether deserved or not. Okay, debatable, but I do think he probably will win. And him, Mane, I'm not, I'm not that fast, but I do feel like he should be a Liverpool player, considering we are so far ahead of City. The time, obviously, there was the year 13-14 where Suarez won it, even though we did we finished second. He was exceptional, and we were very close to catching to catching City. So you can you, you can understand why he won it over Yaya. But this year, it's, it's hard to to give it to um to give it to De Bruyne because his influence on the game is there, but it's not necessarily represented in the in their points total. So yeah, that's my two cents on that. Also, Just a think- quick bit of trivia since Chris mentioned Van Dijk, we're one of two teams to concede less goals than. We've played games. Do you know who the other team is? You'd be very surprised. I think is this Sheffield United. Sheffield United. 
25. Do you know why I know that? Because I kept getting clean sheets from um from the Lindstrom. 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 On fantasy football, boy. Also, so I want to use that. I just want to go into the listeners' questions. There's only a couple, so I'm just going to ask them. Um, we've got one question from Jogba Hive. He asks, can you lot touch on Carragher's performance? So this is obviously about the 2005 final. Like Gerard and Alonso, he stepped up after halftime, but Twitter makes you think he's like Mustafi. So, um, Alec, how about you? Would you like to go first and answer this question? So, I watched, uh, again, that tat- tactical analysis um, with Rafa. And for some reason, Carragher just seems to remember everything about the halftime team talk. You know I what? Think... And, and if you watch some of the stuff recently coming out on Sky, which has been fantastic, by the way, on, on their YouTube channel, his memory of, of football games is outrageous. Outrageous. He doesn't seem to forget anything. But anyway, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. You continue, Eddie. Um, yeah, so I think he was telling stuff to Rafa in the dressing room saying, oh, yeah, well, you told us this and this and that. I think, I think he was a leader that night as well. Um, I think, you know, he was... I remember there was one moment where he... where the ball got slipped through in the second half and it was... I think Kaka rolled it back or... Someone rolled it back and he got in there and he, and he intercepted the ball from, from them scoring. Um, I think his celebration at the end was, you know, just, just, just amazing. I think, jump, just, you know, just, just jumping around. I think, um, I, I don't remember too much about his performance, to be honest with you. But I think, you know, what, um, what, what Rafa definitely said um, in, in, in his uh, you know, in his uh, tactical analysis with Sky was that, you know, we had characters in the dressing room and he definitely alluded to Carragher and Stevie being one of them. Yeah. So I think, you know, his, his influence off the pitch and, you know, was, was, was a massive factor. And, and, I, think, and I think he was definitely a, a, a big character in the dressing room. Yeah, agreed. Absolutely. Does anyone have anything else to add to that? Um, yeah, so just to go on to the second thing, um, Terry, sorry, Kevin, sorry. Cool. Um, just to go on to the second bit of the question, um, as the famous quote always goes, we either die a hero or live long enough to become a villain. And I feel like Carragher is just unfortunate. His tenure was so long. He started to lose a lot of pace towards the end of his career. And you could literally see that. that much, but yeah. yeah, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> he never really had that much pace, but... Um, so we had this quick fact as well. I remember him saying he used to be a striker. He used to be one of the quickest people, one of the best strikers in Liverpool. And then as he started playing with more, be- sorry, better players, he realised he's not that good and started becoming a defender. Um, I think, but, you know what, yeah, just, just before you go over, I think that is a sign of a, a player who can exist in an era where they know they're not that good, but can still mm-hmm. play. I think that is... A very humbling experience. I think that's actually a sign of a very good player. But yeah, you go on. Um, yeah, so I feel like towards the end of his tenure, he didn't have the pace to keep up with emerging strikers. And as something I've always mentioned is I feel like attacking gets better at a, so gets better at a different rate compared to defending. Um, it progresses a lot better. And attackers always have that edge. Mm. So... I know a lot of people remember... Yeah, defender kind of thing. Yeah. Everyone wants to score goals. Everyone wants to score goals. Everyone wants to attack. Everyone wants to be the skillful one. And that 
creates more inventive attackers. Mm. And then defenders are more reactionary. It's more you learn what an attacker does and then you learn how to defend against it. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, so, yeah, I know a lot of people remember Henri absolutely tearing Carragher a new one. And that is what people tend to centre around on is he couldn't defend that. But at the same time, you need to remember Thierry Henry was one of the greatest strikers that we've ever seen. And pace-wise, he would have taken anybody for a ride. Mm. Maybe not Virgil, maybe. But he would have taken most people for a ride. And we do need to context these things. We do need to context that if throughout his whole career, he was a very, very good servant for the club. He wasn't the greatest, but he knew what skills he had. He knew how to use his skill set very well to contribute to a team. And similar to someone who we mentioned earlier, Shevchenko, who was an amazing striker and was absolutely ridiculous for years, but he moved to Chelsea and you could see the fall off. And a lot of people remember him for that as opposed to him being an absolutely ridiculous striker. Yeah, because like, you said that because two years before 03 final for Milan, he actually won that for him. For yeah. them. So, yeah. And in a similar vein, Carragher was a great servant for the club and was a great player for us. But because a lot of people remember the end of his career where he probably shouldn't have been playing at as high a level as he was, people tend to centre more on that. We do need to remember that football needs to be taken into context. When you're mentioning someone's career especially, you remember every single thing that they've done and everything that they've accomplished as opposed to just what you remember and just what you get shown on a daily basis. Yeah, that is that's definitely some advice to myself when I have my agendas. Um, yeah, go on, Kev. You, you're about yeah, to say something. What do you think about his I'll be totally honest. For me, Canada, it, it was like a passion merchant performance, to be honest with mm. you, because for me, hippie was that guy. Hippia? So, you know what, it's funny you say that because I felt... disrespected. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, not only that, but I felt he was the only man who could keep his head held high after, after, that, after that first half. I thought he was... I thought he, he played genuinely well. But he... The three goals. Yeah, he... He was the brains behind our defence. And yeah, sure. I think people think because they saw Carragher shouting, but... Carragher was, a, for me, a very reactive defender. Where Hippia had no pace whatsoever, Hippia just stood on the edge of the box. Ball comes long, I'm going to head it out. If you're playing through balls, I'm going to read where it is. Because so, he had no pace whatsoever. So, mm. for me, a guy, how tall was he? Like six foot four, six Who? foot... Hippia? Whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. massive. Four, six three, six four. Yeah. Like yeah. Couldn't run, had no pace whatsoever. But he was so solid. And I think positionally and his intelligence is what sort of saved Liverpool on numerous occasions. So I do think Carragher was a bit overrated. I think he was a good steady player for Liverpool. But me, I like like winding up Arsenal fans and giving them banter. For me, Carragher at the time was better than Colo Yeah, okay. So... I will always say I would have taken Carragher over Ture, but for me, Hippia was the man at Liverpool. Cool. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. I, I do think Carragher, in, in that performance itself, that final, he did get better as the match went on. As, as, he, as he went into a back five with Gerard next to him on the right, he definitely performed a lot better. Which, of course, is easy to perform in a back five, I'd say, as a right centre-back, as opposed to a back four, obviously. It's, yeah, generally, yeah. 
there's way more there's way more cover. But yeah, I think you summed it up pretty brilliantly. I think I think Hippia definitely gets all the plaudits. Um, Chris, I'm gonna come to you on this question from our other fantastic host on the pod. He'll he will he'll love me for saying that. Um, this is Fee Fahifo Fum. He asks, why does Haman's introduction in the second half always get overlooked when discussing the miracle? What do you think? It's not flashy, is it? I think that's the thing. It's not. Um, this. It's it's not. It's not a genie. It's, this is the thing. I mean, genie comes on, you know, last season against Bayern, Bayern, Barcelona, and um, you know, scores two goals, sends us through to the final. It doesn't have that same kind of starry impact. You know what I mean? That kind of you know, two goals, you know, the, the energy it brings. But Haman came on and he steadied the ship so well. Um, I think we talk about underrated players from that time. I think Dietmar Haman, uh, oh, brilliant. Criminally, brilliant. criminally underrated. I mean, this is a, you know, back, you know, back into 2002, this is a, you know, Germany's national midfielder who was starting the World Cup final. Um, and on the topic of Haman, I'm surprised someone like Klopp hasn't actually approached him for a coaching role. He just seems like that kind of player who would have a good footballing brain as, mm-hmm. as I well. Think, I think when he, when he a bit of a drinker and a bit of a oh, I think so, yeah. I mean, I Klopp is definitely a drinker. Klopp is definitely a drinker. Well, do you remember? Do you remember the story? Do you remember the story of them when they went to Tokyo for the uh, Club World Cup? And um, I think a few of them went. A few, they went over for uh, you know, a few drinks and stuff. And uh, Deep Mahaman ended up getting arrested. Oh my god! <laughs> okay, you know, I think. Yeah, see, I remember. He's a ca- he's a cannon. He's a cannon. He doesn't look like one, but he's a cannon. Who oh, is this calm, collective guy? Honestly, yeah. ignore me, ignore me, ignore me. Get yeah, please, please continue as you were saying. But yeah, no, I mean, he he came on, steadied the ship, allowed players to push into positions where they felt more comfortable. Um, mm-hmm. And again, it's like the one thing that you know we had that question earlier on. What was the one thing you you change? And I think Alec was right in saying that you changed nothing at all because the way the evening panned out in a perfectly, yeah. well, it didn't go to plan, but it, it went, you know, got us to the end goal. I think the only thing you probably may do is you probably don't play Harry Cure and you play Deep Mahaman instead and probably, probably push Gerard further up. But yeah, it's, it is one of those things where it's, it's not etched in, you know, everyone's memory from, from back then. I mean, there's loads of things you can relate it to. You know, it's like, there's loads of NBA final moments where there's role players stepped up, and I mean, that, I think the one that stands out to me is, is Danny Green's performance in the 2014-15 NBA Finals for the Spurs against the Heat. Comes in, Absolutely. hits loads of threes, but Kawhi ends up with a Finals MVP, and that kind of falls to the wayside. But um, yeah, it's it's I don't think he's got the pizzazz as you know a Vine album performance. And I actually saw an interesting picture yesterday where it says. Um, where it's literally same a man. Energy. And, um, it's the same energy. It's legit. Yeah, same it's legit the same energy. <laughs> mm. yeah, and just for NBA fans, Van Fleet as well. Freddie Van oh, Fleet. Oh, days. Fred Van yeah. Fleet in last year's finals made uh, Steph Curry his, man. his wife. That's what he did. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you are. No, you are definitely. You're definitely right in what you're saying. In that, in the fact that we are in like I don't know what, what's the, the currency nowadays is goals and assists isn't it in football so or football Twitter at least so it's like unless you can unless you can directly contribute to that there's like mm, did, did you really do anything at all that kind of that's the vibe we get that's how we judge a player mm. so I think that's perhaps why those who fully like who watched the game like us I think we do we, we noticed there was literally what changed it wasn't just Gerard just popping up in the right position at the same time what enabled Gerard to even be in that position exactly kind of 
Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, the same so, yeah. of yeah. defensive yeah. responsibility and allowing him to get to where he needed to be. And, then, and I think most importantly, probably shutting down Kaka. Because if even if he freed up Gerard, Kaka would have gone and scored another. <laughs> going to create an army more. <laughs> I think what happened, Hamman, Hamman just snuffed out the space. I wouldn't say man marked Kaka, but yeah, you didn't. Yeah, you're right. You're he right. snuffed. He just snuffed the space out. So, because even like in the first half, it was like Sadoff and Kaka mm-hmm. that just kept getting between the lines, and because of um, Gerard and Jabby, they were them Yeah, yeah. So I think Hamman come and snuffed out the space and just gave it simple, steady yeah. head, steady the ship, and the others got to do what they could do. Yeah. I think. I think what what Chris said, um, the fact that he he didn't he didn't he wasn't like that starry eyed sort of performance. You know that you know if you ask anyone when when did it change, everyone's going to say it was the Gerard goal. You know it was from there that galvanised us, that changed it. But if you look behind it, Gerard wouldn't have been up the pitch. Yeah, that end of the pitch, if it wasn't Haman sitting, Kaká wouldn't have been able to you know break the lines. And also Haman. He scored the penalty as well, didn't he? So yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah. Oh. There's a lot of there's a lot of halftime energy with Liverpool in finals. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, Haman coming on at halftime. I think the the season after in the FA Cup final, Gibraltar. Remember Gibral C saying his multicolored boots? Yeah, <laughs> throwing that volley in our volley. That was a beautiful volley. Watching yeah, it over his shoulder. Beautiful goal. Um, yeah. Just, yeah. Just out of curiosity. And just to throw this out there, which one do you think was Joe's better performance? The FA Cup final or Champions League? FA Cup. FA Cup. It's called the yeah. Gerard final for a reason. You know what I mean? The FA Cup yeah. was, 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 was ridiculous. Like, it didn't actually make sense. I didn't understand how anyone can, can, can. First of all, the ball didn't even bounce. Yeah. When he hit that ball, <laughs> that last shot, it, just, it literally cut the grass. Shaka his up had no chance. It was. <laughs> It was outrageous. The yeah. thing is, he, he said he was tired, knackered. Yeah. And he the was last minute around. to produce that technique. Yeah. <laughs> he's even said that no, if he wasn't as tired as he was, he wouldn't have shot. Yeah, so, yeah, that's what he said. Everything yeah. just pieced together perfectly for us. The poeticness of that goal, because obviously the stadium now to goes, there'll be an extra three minutes of added time. He just comes up, absolutely twats the ball perfectly, <laughs> straight into the corner. I mean, I went, I went to that. I mean... And the energy was just absolutely unreal. The let off when he scored that was just, just absolutely beautiful. Um, I, I actually don't know what I would have done. Obviously, I live in East London, so West Ham winning a final against Liverpool, <laughs> and people around me know, um, like know that I'm a Liverpool fan. Always complaining, blah blah. Why do you support this? I'm like John Barnes. He's black. Blah blah. Anyway, so they always just throw the stick my way. Um, so if we had lost that, I on my best mate sports West Ham, I would have been, I would have been laugh of the town. So. Honestly, I was thankful to Gerard for more than one reason. But anyway, at the risk of um, both Anik and but the risk of us not being able to see both Anik and Krish, I'm gonna <laughs> we're gonna end the pod there <laughs> as the night um embarks on us. I'm gonna say thank you guys for tuning in thus far. Hopefully, you guys stay the whole way. If you're still with us, thank you very, very, very much. Um, but yeah, it doesn't stop there. We're back every every Wednesday morning, so please check us out on Spotify and Apple Music, and also tune in and get involved in the discussion on Twitter using the hashtag #TouchlineFracker. And that's us at Copper and Fracker. We wish you a good day and a good night. Take care. Yeah.
The Medicare annual election period deadline is coming soon. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who found the key to the right coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online. I took my time and found the best Medicare Advantage plan for me at MyHealthPolicy.com. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plan, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com. And finally, Michael. I prefer face-to-face, so I chose MyHealthPolicy.com and enrolled on the spot. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to learn about top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. MyHealthPolicy.com. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call. Sports Social Podcast Network.